You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. We're just taking our time as we go through First Peter, and First Peter covers a lot of material, so it's not like we can, it's a small letter, it's, it's very small, you could read it in probably 20, 30 minutes, but he jumps from issue to issue to issue, and, and it's, there's so much to, to kind of un, unpack and to flesh out, that we're just kind of taking our time as we walk through this. First um, Peter, here's the situation, there's a group of Christians that have been kicked out of their home in Rome, and now they're wandering as exiles. Uh, in the Roman Empire without a place to go. They, they are uh, kind of huddling together in certain Roman towns that have never heard about Jesus before. And Peter, uh, the apostle, writes to them to encourage them as exiles who are literally exiles, who have no home, also saying that we are also figurative, spiritual exiles. And that, hey, don't worry about it because... This world is not our home, and you're never really going to quite feel like you ever truly belong here in this life. He says, because we're not made for this life. We're made for the kingdom of God, not the kingdoms of this earth until there is a restored earth, that is. And so he writes this letter to encourage them to stay strong in the midst of people that have never even heard about Jesus. So he says this straight off in two chapters. He says, people are watching, so we need to live different. And that's kind of the big point of the whole letter is is, uh, people are watching and we are to have different lives. Peter says, remember, we're being watched. So live a life that points to Jesus in everything that you do. Live gracious lives, live humble lives, live considerate lives because people... Are watching, and so what he begins to do in the next couple of uh, in chapter one, it says, "Know who you are in Jesus." And in chapter two and chapter three, he says, "Because people are watching you, you need to know who you are." It starts with who God says you are, because people are watching you, and they want to know who you are. So he he begins to flesh out two big themes, and the number one is that live your life in such a way as to draw people to the kingdom of God. He says, "Live in such a way that it it tends to turn heads; that people are attracted." and drawn to the way that you live. And the second thing he points out is live your life in such a way as to gain the right to speak into their life. So he says, before you start talking about this Jesus that they've never heard of before, live a life that gains the right to speak into their lives. Live Live in such a way that draws people to whatever it is that you have. They're watching your response to society. These are all the things he covers in chapter 2 and 3. He says they're watching your response to society, to government, to work, to school, to your superiors. They're watching your marriage. And then he says, and for crying out loud, they're watching you as Christians, so get along with each other. But here's the, here's the, the part that he's about to transition into, because the rest of, of Peter actually gets, after today, uh, our section today, it actually gets a little dark, because he begins to say that no matter what you do, no matter how you live, if you live your best to live a life that honors Jesus, and you get along with everybody, and you try to live a way that is an example at work and at school and at home, and you're still going to get criticized. He says, what do you do when, when you still get criticized when you are, in, in your heart, you feel like you're doing exactly the right thing. You're doing your very best to model. You're not perfect. None of us are perfect, but you're being authentic. You're being real. He says, what do you do? Well, Peter responds with this in verse 13. This is where we left off last week. He says, who's going to harm you if you are eager to do good? 
But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. So he says this, no matter what people say or do to you, remember this. And then we're going to dive into what he says next, which is, which is really the part that we, we focus on when he spends two chapters and a ton of verses to talk about how to live our life. He's going to spend like three verses talk, to talk about how to talk about our life. But he says this, what do you do that no, when people attack you, no matter what people say, no matter what people do, number one, remember this, is just you just need to keep doing what's right. No matter what people say, no matter what people do, he says, you got to just keep doing what is right. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? That word eager is the, is the Greek word zealotos, which is where we get the word zealot, which means enthusiastically committed. He says, you've got to be committed, enthusiastically committed to doing the right thing to doing good. You've got to be determined doing what is right has got to be something that you are committed to doing no matter what people say, no matter what people do, no matter how people treat you, no matter how rude they get, you've got to be enthusiastically committed to doing the right thing. So no matter what people say, you just keep doing the right thing. No matter what. And then he says this, even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. I want you to realize this, he says, you will be attacked and you will be judged, regardless of what you do. Regardless of what you do, people will attack you. It's just not everyone's going to like the Christian person. You know, there are some people who are going to respect the way that you live. There's some people who are going to respect your, your values, and there's other people who are going to just not like you at all. They're not going to like you. You're a, good, you're a decent person. You try to live for Jesus, and you treat people nice and kind. You come in on time. You do your work, and you treat people, uh, you know, the way that people should be treated. And it doesn't matter. There are some people that are just, no matter what, not going to like you, he says. And, and that's a blessing, he says. You're going to be attacked and you're going to be judged. But no matter what people say, don't respond with an attitude. Expect that people just not like you because you're a Christian, but you just keep doing what is right. And so he says this. The next thing he says is do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. He says, listen, no matter what people say, no matter what people do, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid. No matter what they say, don't be afraid. No matter what they do, don't be afraid. You know, a lot of times we, we, we get worried. What if they say the stuff about me to other people? What if they start spreading lies about me? What if they start talking about me behind my back? What if they want to fight me? You know, what if they want to, you know, get me fired? What if, what, they're, they're out to destroy me. Listen, don't be afraid. No matter what people say, no matter what people do, don't be afraid of their threats. Isaiah uh, he quotes this, this passage, says, don't be afraid of their threats. Don't be frightened. It's in quotations because he's actually quoting a verse. He's quoting a verse in Isaiah chapter 8. In Isaiah, God is speaking through Isaiah to the people of Israel who were fearful of their future. So let's read the whole context of what Peter's quoting. In Isaiah chapter 8, verse 11, Isaiah says this, this is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of, of this people. I love this next verse. Listen to this. He says, do not call conspiracy everything they call a conspiracy. 
That's a good, you just, this is pray right there and go home. Do not fear what they fear. Do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. And verse 17, he says, I will wait for the Lord and I will put my trust in him. You know, a lot of times this, this world is, it presents fear. It feeds on the fear. Politics is a, is a movement of fear. Both parties uh, and all the other parties, every one of the parties, there's not just two, there's, there's many political parties and positions, they thrive on fear. The, 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 the worry of what happens if this doesn't or this does happen. And, and, there's, and, and then it breeds because we don't know the truth and we don't know answers. Not knowing answers, not knowing who to trust breeds conspiracy and, and breeds, you know, suspicion. And, and I love this. He says, listen, don't call conspiracy everything they call a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not dread it. And then he says, the Lord Almighty is the one. Lord Almighty means the one who is in full control. Lord God Almighty. It's one of, the, one of the greatest, most powerful descriptions of God in the entire Old and New Testament. The Lord God Almighty. The Lord Almighty, all-powerful, all in control. Not someone in control, kind of in control, watching and see what happens is in control, waiting for you to release him control. No, he is in control, with or without you, always sovereign, always in charge. He is almighty. He says he's the one you need to be afraid of. He's the one you need to, to kind of be humbled by. Jesus says something very similar in chapter 12 of Luke. He says, don't fear man, only fear God. Isaiah did not panic. He was not intimidated. And he challenges them and he challenges us to trust in the Lord because we have a greater authority. So don't be afraid of their threats. Listen to this. He says, do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Verse 15, he says, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. The opposite of fear is reverence or awe of God. See, the opposite of fear is not courage, all right? Because you can have courage in the face of fear. That's what makes courage so courageous and so brave. The opposite of fear is trust or reverence in Christ or the Lord. See, I can either be afraid of you or I can be afraid of God, which means an awe and understanding and reverence of who God is. And see, if I'm truly, by the way, this whole idea of fear of God is core. I mean, every character in the Old and New Testament had one thing in common. The Bible says they all had the fear of the Lord. In fact, Solomon says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom and understanding. Every great character in, in the scriptures, a relationship with God begins with an understanding of the awe of God, the power and the wonder and the amazing, glorious, and fearful power of God. And because I know who is in charge, I don't have to be afraid of you. And I don't have to be afraid of what somebody says about me. And I don't have to be afraid about what this world looks like or what culture's doing or, or what politics are doing. I don't have to be afraid because I know the one who is in charge and he's the one I should be afraid of 
you know, not as in like, oh, God, no, but isn't, well, if I'm not in right relationship with him, I should fear that. But it's a fear of understanding that he is powerful and he's in charge. And it's good to know that I'm his son now through Christ. That's why it says reverence as Christ is Lord. Revere Christ as Lord. It's not just, it's not just you reverence God, but you, you have this understanding, this relationship with him through Christ. So here's the fourth thing. He says that no matter what people say to you, he says, keep praising Jesus. Keep praising Jesus. So no matter what they say or do, keep doing what is right. No matter what they say or do, understand you're going to be attacked and you'll be judged. No matter what they say or do, don't be afraid of them. And the fourth thing is this, no matter what, keep praising Jesus. No matter what they say, just keep praising Jesus. Keep praising him. No matter what, I will keep praising my Lord. Devil, not today. You know, there's that hill song, devil, no, not today. It's that high, the whole idea is that, you know what? Devil, you're not going to come in and you're not going to crush my spirit with worry and anxiety. Not today, devil. Never, not today. And in the song, it says, no, not never, not ever again. You know, we also sing a song here, uh, Raise a Hallelujah. And there's this, it's like, I'm going to, you know, when it feels like my life is falling apart, I'm going to raise a hallelujah. I'm going to let my, my, this song, I'm going to let these words of faith, I'm going to let this melody be my weapon. I'm going to lift up the name of the Lord because I'm going to, no matter what people say, no matter what my situation looks like, I'm going to keep praising Jesus. We're to focus on Christ rather than our fears and confrontations. And here in just a moment, when we, when we wrap up today, next, the next couple of weeks, Peter's going to go into a whole new section where he spends like two chapters talking about pain and suffering. He talks about trials and tribulation. And it's going to take a turn next week on how to deal with pain and how to deal with the storms of life. But he says at the beginning... It's, life is hard. People are watching. And no matter what they say, keep praising. So when we keep praising and following Jesus, we keep loving people and we keep being hopeful no matter what. What happens is people turn and listen. So what he's going to do now, he says, not only are people watching, but he's going to transition into saying that people are listening. Look, look at what he says. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15, he says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. A life led by the Spirit gains access to the ears of others. They will listen. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander because a life led by the Spirit gains access to the heart and there is conviction. See, if we are led by the Spirit in the way that we act and live and respond, people will listen and there will be conviction. So listen, the whole first two chapters is people are watching now he's going to spend just a few verses to say this. People are listening. And because people are listening, we need to have a different approach. We live different lives. Now we need to approach this whole idea of how we talk to others about Jesus differently. So what this means is this. After service today, I've got some bulletin boards, and we're going to like 
print up, we're going to, you know, those that want to stay, we're going to write up on the big bulletin board. We're going to say like, like repent, you know, turn or burn on some of the bulletin boards and on others. We're going to write, you know, John 3.16, hell is real, you know, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, eternity is forever. Who's, you know, we're going to do that. And then we're going to go like this afternoon, we're going to come back up here at two o'clock. We're going to meet and then we're going to go down on the corners and we're going to like wave these banners and um, these Who's with me on that? You guys don't know what to think about that, do you? <laughs> well, you know what? That's not what, what Peter is saying here at all. And that's not what I suggest that we do. No, we're not going to do that. Um, actually, it's a different approach is what Peter says. It's a different approach. The, that, that, is not, that is not the approach of any person in the Bible it's not the approach of anyone in the New Testament. Now, I got I to gotta be honest with you. Uh, I, I am in what would be called an evangelist uh, at heart, uh, meaning that uh, uh, when I gave my life to Jesus uh, at 13, I, man, I got on fire for God, like on fire, like intense, you know, no, not going back ever again at 15 and 16. And I began to, to preach at 15 and 16. I used to do street evangelism. And by the time I was in high school, I would go to the West End and Deep Ellum every weekend. And I would stand on the street corners as, as a 16, 17, 18, 19 year old, I would stand on the street corners and I would stay up until three or four in the morning just talking to any person that would talk to me. And I would attract crowds sometimes with drama. Yes, I even had a, 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 a crate that I would sit on and stand on and I would talk to people. And, and I was, I'm an evangelist at heart. And then when I went to Bible college, I uh, was in a ministry that, that was a Cedar Springs uh, um, Oak Lawn uh, Ministry, which if you're familiar with that area of Dallas, that is the the uh, the largest uh, 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 gay population in the state of Texas, third largest in the nation, and and I would just go out there for for three or four hours, just witnessing and sharing the gospel and and just loving on people, and because I'm an evangelist at heart, man, and I I love mission work, I love doing street evangelism, but not everybody is to be like me. You're not supposed to be like me. You're supposed to be like you. You may never stand on a corner and share the gospel with somebody. You may never go to Oaklawn and talk to somebody. You may never, uh, you know, um, you know, talk to a crowd of people who's who's huddled around you, laser beaming questions at you. You know, you, that what Peter is giving us here in just a minute is is a way that every one of us can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, there are different spiritual gifts that people have. You know, one of my spiritual gifts is, is evangelistically oriented. Uh, and so I, I love to cast the gospel net and I love to pull the net. I love to, you know, I love to, to lead people to Christ and I, I have no problem being in front of people and that's a spiritual gift. But some of you, that's not a spiritual gift. You know, being in front of people is hard. Being transparent and talking to, to two or three people at one time is very, is very insecure for you. you know, but you know what? We're all called to spread Jesus, all of us. So maybe your spiritual gift is, is more relational. Well, this is perfect for you because we have a different approach here than this is for everybody. So regardless of your, quote, spiritual gift or personality, 
This is what Peter says. The first thing he says this. He says, when they start listening, how to live ready, when they ask and they will, this is how to respond. The first thing is we need to speak from a place of relationship with Jesus. We need to be authentic. He says, revere uh, in your hearts uh, Christ as Lord. Literally, this means set apart Christ as your Lord, determined to follow Jesus. See, Jesus has truly got to be the Lord of your life if you are going to be someone who effectively shares his truth and hope. And so I have a question. Are you the real deal? This is a challenge for Christians today. Are you the real deal? The message plus the messenger equals effective ministry. So if you're like just, you know, I have to share, uh, talk to people about Jesus, ugh, you know, and you're like, you're forcing it, or maybe you're, the only thing that you can talk about is church. Hey, you need to go to church. You need to be in church. You want to come to church, which by the way, um, I encourage you to invite people to church, you know, uh, bring your friends, bring your coworkers, bring, bring someone who's a neighbor or friend, bring them to church, but your conversation has got to be deeper than church. And your conversation needs to be greater or deeper than God. You know, do you know God? How is God? Everybody says they know God or, or, or some has an idea of God or spirituality of God. But I tell you what, we are afraid to often say is the name Jesus. See, that's the name at which every knee shall bow and tongue confess. That is the name at which demons tremble. And when we start talking about Jesus, when we know Jesus, when we're not just religious or spiritual, but when we know Jesus as our Lord, then that begins to change everything. See, so many try to talk about church and having a good life. Man, I've talked to people, man, I, just, I know I just need to get my life. I need to be a better person. I need to get back in church. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, that wouldn't hurt. But what you need is Jesus, man. <laughs> what you need is an authentic, real relationship with Jesus. He needs to be your Lord. And going to church ain't going to fix that. You know, believing in God ain't going to fix, you know, the problems that you have. Being a better person might improve the quality of your life, but it won't fix your spirit. Do you authentically know Jesus as your Lord? There's a huge difference between believing in God and having the Lord. Is Jesus the Lord? The word Lord, when it's a lowercase L-O-R-D, means master, means ruler. Is Jesus the master and ruler of your life? So if we are to effectively share the gospel, you need to be the real deal. So ask yourself, man, those friends that you care for, that coworker, that neighbor, ask yourself, it begins with you. Are you authentic? Do you truly know Jesus? Here's the second thing that Peter says. He says, always be prepared to give an answer. So I like to put it this way. We speak about what we know about. Be prepared. You need to know what you're talking about. That means you need to know the Bible somewhat, a little bit. You know, maybe you're not a big reader, but you need to know the Gospels. You need to know the story of Jesus. You need to, you need to have some basic understanding of who God is in theology. You don't want to lead someone to a weird belief system or a weird theology or, or something that you picked up from a book or some speaker and it's whack and because it just sounded cool. That's not what you believe. Listen, you need to know what you're talking about to some extent. You need to be prepared. 
Man, read the Bible. Prepare yourself. Use your brain. Be knowledgeable of things in the Bible. Have an answer that makes sense. The word, uh, be prepared to give an answer. The word answer is the word apologia. It's a fancy word. It's where we get the word apologetics. The word apologetics is the study of answers or the defense of answers. So like, for instance, if you want to know, like, like the, if you've ever seen a book that's about, you know, the case for Christ, you know, or the, the case for faith, or, you know, uh, more than a carpenter, evidence that demands a verdict. These are books that talk about the history of Jesus, the, the you know, where the Bible came from, how do we know Jesus existed, all these kind of things. That's called apologetics. Those are all answer books to the tough questions that people ask. It doesn't hurt to have some answers to some of those tough questions. All right, maybe, maybe you struggle with, with some of these answers. I'm going to give you a quick tip, all right? This is real simple. Write this down. It's a website called gotquestions.org, all right? There's an app, Got Questions app, and it's got thousands and thousands of questions and answers for Christians, all right? So if you're talking to a coworker and they have, they, 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 you know, they, they stump you on a tough question. Well, Got Questions app probably has an answer, a biblical answer with scriptures. It's a nice tool. Be prepared. Have it ready. Luke 12, 11, it says this. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, don't worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Now, a lot of people look at that verse and say that that means, well, I don't need to know anything. I just need to like open my mouth and let ah, whatever comes out, come out. You know, like I don't need to study. I don't need to know my Bible. I just need to know Jesus and I'm filled with the Spirit. So, you know, Jesus said, just don't worry about it. Just be ready. He didn't say don't worry about it. He's like, he's saying don't rely upon your own you know, self, rely upon the Spirit of God. He says, by the way, he had already said what the purpose of the Spirit is. The purpose of the Spirit is to teach us and to guide us and direct us and empower us. But one of the other things Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is to remind us of all that Jesus said and to help us understand what Jesus is saying. So this does not mean that we don't need to know the Bible or that we don't need to have some kind of an answer ready. But one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to remind us. You know, uh, take, take a look at this picture. Maybe you've seen these, these old kind of wells, these fashion wells. And I just talked about this in our Discover Living Way class. And this is a, a great picture that I like. Is, is in these wells, you have to, you know, you have to pump the well like this, like a handle, right? And, and then if there's water in the well, it, you know, there's a, a pipe going down, you know, deep into the earth where they find water. And, and so you pump in this well, and it causes pressure. The water comes up, and boom, you got water. Now, when the well's dry, the well's dry. And you can just be pumping all day, and there's nothing there. If the well is empty, you're not going to get any water. So this is what I challenge you to do as a way to be prepared. Read the scriptures. Get water in that well. Fill your well with the wellspring of life, the word of God. See, as you're reading the Bible, you may be like, well, I don't know if this is applying to me today. Listen, it will apply 
one day. It could apply probably tomorrow, the next day. I don't know how many times I've read the scriptures and go, oh, that's pretty cool. You know, I don't know what that was for me today for, but that was cool. And then two days later, I'm like, that's what I was just reading about. And that's what God had me read yesterday or two days ago because today God wanted to challenge me to challenge you. And I have a challenge for you. But you know what? It's because there was water in the well. As you read the word of God, you know, every day won't be like, whoa, that was awesome. It might be because, you know, the word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. But, but as you read the Bible, you know, not every day is going to be like, man. But I tell you, what you're doing is you're filling the well. You're filling the well. So all of a sudden when you go to work and someone starts, you know, asking about the hope that you have and you start pumping that well, you got something that flows out of you. But if you're never reading the Bible, and if you're not growing in your faith, growing in your understanding of who God is, growing in some way to have an answer to the tough questions of life through, through God's perspective, then when those, when those questions come your way, you, your well will be dry and empty and you'll have nothing to give. I challenge you. Peter is saying, listen, be prepared. Be ready. He's speaking from experience. Peter was oftentimes brought before a judge in a group of people and relying on the Holy Spirit. Peter would give an answer. He would give a reason and he would give a defense for his faith, giving factual evidence of the relationship that he had with Jesus and he would give his testimony and Paul would do the same. They were ready to give an answer. Notice what we are to talk about. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Our message is a case for hope. We don't have to be afraid, worried, fearful, riddled with anxiety or lonely. We don't have to try to fit in or struggle to find meaning and purpose. There is a hope. And this is what's great about the, the true message of Jesus. Those that truly know how to bring the message of Jesus is that your message is a hopeful message. It's not, a, it's not a, a message that attacks and tears down. It is a message of hope. We don't need to defend God. We make a case for hope. Be prepared. Give reasons. Be personal. He says, to the hope that you have. You, you're, you're not to share my story. You're to share your story. What is the hope that you have you know, what is your hope? This is an opportunity when people ask you, if you live an authentic life, people will ask you. This is an opportunity for you to give your story with Jesus. Um, this is something we instruct when we go on mission trips. It's a very simple thing to do. And by the way, if <laughs> this is like something that I used to say when I was on a street corner and when I was at my friend's house or something, I would say, can I tell you the most exciting thing that's ever happened to me? You know, have you ever, if you walk up to someone who's a complete stranger and say, can I tell you the most exciting thing that's ever happened to me? Uh, you know, if you were to ever say that to me, it doesn't matter if I know you or who you are. I'm like, yeah, I want to know that. <laughs> you know, it's kind of, it's a weird, it's, it's like a mystery. Yeah. Well, so I would say, well, let me tell you the most exciting thing that's happened to me. And I would share my story. 
You know, maybe you, you can bring that up with a friend. You can bring that with a family member. Hey, can I share with you the most exciting thing that's ever happened to me? What is your story? Here's how you piece it together. And this is how I challenge those that go on mission trips with us and the, those that are doing evangelism type outreach. It's real simple to develop a story. Each one of us needs to develop what I call a two-minute testimony. You need to be able to share your testimony in two minutes, not 20 minutes, not 15 minutes, 30 minutes, a two-minute testimony that has the B-C-H-C-A-C. B-C is before Christ. What was your life before you met Jesus? Very simple. Doesn't have to be long. Don't go into the details of all the things you did or didn't do. Just give them enough to make them go, really? All right? Just enough to make them want to ask you questions. Don't give them so much information that they don't want to ask you questions. Just briefly share with them your before Jesus life. And then share with them the how Christ life. I met Jesus, or at this moment, I wandered into a church, or I was at my lowest point. I had someone who wrote on, on a card on how they met Jesus. I met Jesus face down in the gutter in a pool of blood. I'm like, man, that is a great how Jesus point. And I met Jesus, and, and how you met him, maybe it was in a church service, maybe it was as a kid, maybe it was at a youth camp. How Jesus met you. And then third, after Christ, how did that change your life? What did it do for your life? How, what kind of direction did it propel you into? For example, before Jesus, I was a lonely, depressed, frustrated, isolated, depressed. I already said that, but I was really depressed. Anxiety-driven, nightmares every night kid from a very dysfunctional home that moved every single year almost of my life. I felt like I had nobody. But one day at 13, a friend invited me to church. My family was not Christians. And I saw something I'd never seen before. Acceptance, love, hope, friendship. That year I asked my parents to go to church for Easter. And that Sunday, we all gave our life to Jesus, and I've never been the same ever since. And since then, I've had a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning. I don't battle with anxiety or depression. I know who I am and where I'm going. God gave me a sense of, of, uh, of, of confidence that I never had before in Christ. And even though my family actually eventually fell apart and fell away, I never walked away. And I served Jesus faithfully without turning back since sin, and God showed himself faithful in my life. Now, that's one way to tell a story. That's, that's two minutes. That's enough to, to cast a net, open up invitation of conversation with somebody if you're doing one-on-one. -on -one. I've got, you can focus on different things in your life, but that BC, HC, HC is a powerful tool for being prepared. Here's the next thing he says. He says, but we do this with gentleness. That means we speak about Jesus to others with kindness. We need, we need to be considerate. That word gentleness means that we need to reduce our self-importance. It means that we do this considerately with humility. See, when we talk, we've got to be loving, not forceful, not harsh, not condemning. When we talk, we're not trying uh, to, to relay God's hate and judgment 
We don't reply demeaningly with others, with insults, but Peter says, listen, we have a different approach. Gentle. Resist the temptation to attack and to condemn. Look what Jesus said in John 3, 16 and 17. We know 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the gospel in one verse, but it begins with God loves you. God loves, God gave, we believe, we receive. But look at verse 17. He says, for God did not send a son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus didn't come to say, you suck, you suck, you suck, you suck, you suck, you suck. All right? It's not what he came for. He didn't come to say, sinner, 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 sinner. Though we are, and that's part of, of us knowing who God is, we must acknowledge our need for him. But what he came to do is say, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. He says in verse 18, the very next verse, he says, I didn't come to condemn because you're already condemned. Your sin condemns you. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to save you. Jesus loves the person that you're talking to. Are you treating them with consideration as someone who is a loved creation of God? When you begin to respond with attitude, you're doing the exact opposite of the character of Christ and what Peter's suggesting in our approach. We must be gentle. And then the next thing he says, we not only do this gentle, but we do it with respect. He says, do this with respect. That means we speak about Jesus to others with patience. We do this respectfully. That means we revere them. We respect them. You value what they have to say. We don't attack, we don't picket, we don't shout at people, we listen to them. Don't talk over them, speak with the joy and patience and deep concern that Christ has for them. Remember, it's a message of hope. We are to give answers to the hope that we have. I am a follower of Jesus, not because I'm afraid of going to hell. Apart from Christ, I'm already condemned in my sin. I give my life to Jesus because of his love. The Bible says, it's your loving kindness, O God, that leads us to repentance. And if our message is hateful, condemning, fearful, anxiety-oriented, people are going to give their life to Jesus just to get a ticket to heaven so that they don't go to hell. And it's not a love relationship. It's still one of anxiety filled with fear. That Are they ever actually really going to heaven because they don't really know him. Listen, we need to learn to listen. We need to respond with the hope that we have. Jesus gave his life for them and he loves them and we need to see them through the eyes of Jesus. Colossians 4, 5, Paul says this. He says, be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. That's non-Christians. Make the most of every opportunity. That means if you're at work or you're at play, you're playing basketball, you're hanging out, you're playing video games, it doesn't matter. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace. That means considerate, gracious, and understanding, seasoned with salt. That means carefully chosen words so that you may know how to answer everyone. 
Remember, this is how to have conversations with, with unbelievers. That means think before you speak, listen before you respond, treat them with respect, gentleness, with, with, with a sense of reverence for them as a human being. Two quick notes. Our attitude is as important as our words. And this is an ongoing theme of, of Peter in chapter 1 and 2. Your attitude is as important as your words. And then the second thing is we win. Our purpose and our goal is to win a heart, not an argument. I'm not here to convince you about creation or convince you about the validity of Noah and, or Jonah. And it, was he really swallowed by a fish, you know? I'm not here to win an argument or to prove anything. I'm here to give an answer to the hope in which I have. I do have some answers for those if you really want to know. But I'm not here to argue with you. I want you to hear the heart of God that he has for you. This is the last thing he says. He says, keeping a clear conscience. That means we live out what we talk about. Again, we are to be authentic. We're not hypocrites. We don't live a double life. I have a clear conscience. I'm not leaving here and, and getting plastered. You know, I'm not leaving here and, and, and you know, sneaking off with my girlfriend uh, in an extramarital affair tonight. I have a clear conscience before you right now. And so I can speak the gospel with a clear conscience, because I, I strive to live authentic. I'm not perfect, but I strive to live authentic. And this is what he says, live an authentic life. Keep a clear conscience. We live it. This is the heartbeat of chapters one through three. Be authentic followers of Jesus. So I want to end with this thought. I like to call it the revival sandwich. You want revival in your home? You want revival at work? You want revival at school? We want revival in our church? This is the sandwich, all right? This is the layers. Uh, if you, I truly believe, if you will do this, you will see revival in your life, in, in the lives of those around you. You will see revival if you will live it, if you will love them, if you will tell them, and if you will live it. It's the revival sandwich. What happens is we're not living it or we're not loving them or we're not telling them and it takes all of it together. We've got to be authentic. We've got to be, you know, if you're just a, like an authentic person, like truly honors God with your life and you love people, but you never tell people about Jesus, you know what? You won't see revival because it's the word of God that brings, that brings life. It's the word of God that brings salvation. It's the gospel that is the seeds of, of salvation, all right? That is what brings salvation. So if, you, if you're just a good person, loving on God, loving others, you, you'll just be a good person and maybe have a decent life, but you won't see revival until you tell them. Now, maybe you're living an authentic life and you're, you're telling people, but you don't love people. You're angry, you're judgmental, you're harsh, you're pushy, you're arrogant. You're like, well, I'm just telling the truth, man. No, you're a jerk. You may love Jesus, but you don't treat people very nice and you won't see revival because you don't really love people. Or maybe you love people and you're talking about Jesus all the time, but your private life is a shambles. You're not authentic. You're like, how come I'm not seeing God? Because you are not living a life that honors God. Listen, live it, love them, tell them, live it. This is the revival sandwich. 
We can't miss a single layer. It takes all four. With my family, with my coworkers, I've told them, now there comes a point when all you can do is just live it. You know, maybe you've told your friends. Maybe you've told your family. All right, you've loved them. You've told them. Now just live it. Just live it. Be the real deal. Here's what I have a challenge for you today. And uh, you can write this down in your notes someplace. I want you to do this. I want you to list a few people you have a relationship with at home or in your neighborhood or work or school. And um, in fact, if you've got a, a pen right now and you've got your notes, um, pull out your phone, maybe write a list a couple of people, two or three people, because uh, right now we're going to pray for them. What follows in 1 Peter is how to thrive in a life that seems to be falling apart. All right, you're living for Jesus, and life is just really hard. Suffering, particularly suffering for Jesus, is what he's going to talk about the next couple of chapters. But what I want to do right now is I want us to, to pray for the people that you have on your mind right now. So let's pray. If you've written a couple names down, then that's awesome. If you haven't, I want you to think of one or two people that you know uh, are not followers of Jesus that you, that you care for, maybe a coworker, a friend, a family member. I want you to think about them. And now let's pray for them. In your own words, just begin to say their name and, and just say, God, I just, just pray for, for this person. God, I pray that you would move into their life and convict them and draw them, God. I pray that you would uh, use me in your own prayers, guys. And pray for these people. Pray that God would use you, God, that you would use me, that I would live an authentic life. Lord, that I would walk in love towards them. God, give me the boldness of, of, of having a conversation with them about Jesus. God, help me to be consistent in my life with you, dear Jesus. Maybe some of you here, I want to pray for you. Some of you here, you, you, you want to be honest, man. You haven't been living for God. Your life has not been authentic, and, and you feel convicted about that this morning. Will you just take a moment and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me if I have in any way caused someone to miss Jesus. If my attitude or actions and choices have caused the people that I love to not see you, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my actions and my choices that have caused another to stumble. God, forgive me. God, by your spirit, God, mature me. Help me to walk faithfully with you so that I can see the people that I love know you. Say them again by name, God. I, I pray for this person and this person, God. Use me, God, or use somebody, Father speak into their life. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Love you guys. I'm going to have the ushers come at this time. And uh, one of my favorite things to talk about is evangelism because I love evangelism. And uh, there's, there's all kinds of tips and tools on how to lead someone to Christ. But here's what you need to remember. Love them, be authentic, and don't be afraid to talk about Jesus. Okay? And and you don't, you may never find yourself on a street corner, but you definitely find yourself across the table at a lunch or having coffee or after a meeting 
or walking to your car after work. You're going to find yourself there. And that is an opportunity that God has given you. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. And uh, God's so good and faithful. Let's pray for that offering. God, thank you. I pray that you multiply that offering. You know what we have need of as a church. We give you thanks, dear God, for your goodness in our life. God, I pray that you'd help us to be bold in the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's another tip. Begin your mornings with prayer that says something that involves God. Use me today. Give me boldness today. Give me your ears today. Give me your eyes today. Help me to recognize the opportunities and those moments that you have for me. If we're looking, we'll see them. I tell you, there'll be years where I would, was like when I was in a work environment, where I would pray for years and years before I actually saw an opportunity where someone asked me about the hope that I had. I've shared that story with you before. Um, but begin your morning with prayer, God. Use me, bold me, power, uh, uh, use your power through me. And uh, um, let's stand. Let's go ahead. Yeah, let's stand. I want to pray for you one more time. God, I thank you, Lord, for these uh, men and women. God, I pray especially for those in this room that are Christians. If you're a Christian and, and uh, you want to be used by God this week, and, and then just raise your hands. God, I pray, Lord, that you would give uh, these men and women, these young people, these adults, God, a clarity and opportunities, God. I pray that they would see, God, people through your eyes. God, I pray that they would hear, God, the, the, the cry of their spirit, God, that they would see in their life, God, those around them that need to know you. God, the people not just they care about, but God, the opportunities to talk to these people. God, I pray that you give them boldness that only comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. God, use them, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Jesus is the living way. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.